Some of you noticed a post that was made yesterday, and yes, uh, a couple of you saw me this morning ask a question, how was the ark? Um, we had the opportunity to go down Friday night and spend the night in Cincinnati and then uh, go see the ark encounter, which is a life-size replica of Noah's ark, uh, just about 30, 35 minutes south of Cincy into Kentucky. And uh, it's incredible. It's, I don't know how to explain it. It's Noah's ark. It's big. Um, it was amazing, uh, some great things that we, we saw there, so thank you for asking about that. And I figured I'd just give a little blurb on that now, because one of the neat things about that, uh, besides the, the size of the ark and everything that was there, there's two things that really hit me. Uh, one was just a reminder of what heaven's going to be like. There were so many people there. I mean, busloads were coming in in the middle of nowhere, and people of different ethnic backgrounds, and they're, they're different, you know, obviously men and women and boys and girls of all ages and then different ethnic backgrounds just looking around and languages being spoken in, in, in German and in Spanish and, and English. And as I'm sitting there going, this is like heaven. This is what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be awesome. I think we'll be able to understand each other. Uh, but it was, it was great. So that was one thing that really hit me. And the second thing was on the way home, the most vivid, colorful rainbow we've ever seen uh, we witnessed on the way home. It's sort of, you know, we got off the ark and boom, there was a rainbow. It was, it was pretty cool. Um, I don't know how they did that. Um, just kidding. God did it. Okay. Um, so this morning, uh, my sister-in-law was asking me yesterday then. She goes, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, I don't know. I'm feeling a little Genesis right now. Uh, maybe we should talk about the ark. And I thought, no. We're going to finish talking about what I started last week, talk about knowing God. And so I want to sort of wrap that up with a very simple sermon today. Um, but it is so simple, but yet so important, so foundational. I'll never forget, I was texting Zach Robinson something probably about two, three months ago. And, uh, and I mentioned something about the building, and I, they were just putting the foundation down. And he goes, I can't wait to see when it's done. And I said, I know, it's so long to get that foundation in, but without the foundation, that building crumbles. And then we sort of commented back and forth, like, that's the way it is in our spiritual life. If we don't have a strong spiritual foundation, we have nothing to stand on in our faith. And it takes a while to build that foundation. And it's so important. And so this, this message this morning is very simple foundational truth with knowing God that we really got to nail this down. And from there we move on, okay? So let me just make sure we got this right. There is a holy God. There is one God. He wants to have a relationship with you and me. And he loves us. And if you come to know him, it will change how you live for him forever. When we truly know God, it changes how we worship him. If you know God deeply, you will worship God deeply. Just as you truly love someone, you will act different around them and different towards them. You stand up for them. If you love somebody and somebody says something about that person, you will stand up for them. If you love somebody and somebody does something to them, you will stand up for them. In the same way with God. The more you know God and love God, the more you'll stand up for him and do anything. So let's begin with some basic truth this morning. First of all, God loves you. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Look at the person next to you and say, God loves you. Let them know. Look to another person tell them, God loves you. Ah, so simple, isn't it? Now, hopefully you heard it from two people. If you didn't hear it from two people, we failed. Okay? We've got to make sure we try this again. One more time. Look at another person and tell them. That, wait, 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 wait. Not anybody you've already talked to. Look to somebody else now. Tell them God loves you. God 
Steve gets extra credit for hitting three people on that one. Nice. Nice job. God's up there going, Steve, good job. No, it's truth. And we've got to make sure we tell each other that more often, that God loves you. God loves you. John 3, 16 says what? For God so loved what? The world that he gave his one and only son. First John 3, 16. I love this. John 3, 16. I just told you, right? But first John 3, 16 says this. We know what real love is because Jesus Christ gave up his life for us. That's real love, to give up your life for somebody. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son, his one and only son, into the world so that we could have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I just gave you three simple scriptures. John 3, 16, 1 John 3, 16, and 1 John 4, 9 through 10. Three simple verses that remind you, God loves you. God loves you. Now, those come right out and say it, and there's more that say it, and then you see it all through the Bible. Why do we need to hear that? Because it's so foundational. When someone expresses their love to you, it's natural for you to want to love them back. Right? So you just heard it. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Still knowing that God loves you, naturally, we should want to what? Express our love back to God. Now, I'll say this. I, I do want to know and love God more and more. And growing up in, I remember eighth grade, I was at church camp. It hit me. The, the speaker is up front. He's talking about love God, love God. And I'm sitting there as an eighth grader going, how do you love somebody you can't touch, see, or feel? And that just tore me up. Because uh, I'm thinking I'm a horrible Christian because I don't know how to love God. I can't see him touch her. How do I? I can love my mom and dad. I can love my brothers most of the time. I can love my sister. But how do you love somebody you can't see, touch, or feel? And here's the thing. However, when what I know about God isn't good enough either. Now, it's limited. It's flawed. My understanding of who God is gets distorted at times. It gets flawed by a lack of intelligence, by false truths that people speak, and also by deceitful teaching that can go on. So I know this too. I have a sin problem. And what I mean is that if I truly examine my life, I know I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I have sin in my life. There's right and there's wrong. And a lot of times I make the right decisions, but sometimes I make the wrong decision. That's frustrating. And that is sin when I'm missing the mark. My lack of measurement against God's standards. Here's God's standards and here's where I fall when I try to hit his standards. I'm off. And because of that, I have what's in my life. It's called sin and that's separating me from God. God loves me, but my mistakes, my messes tend to separate me from God. Let me give you some more verses. You can write these down if you want. I should have the kids recite them. Wednesday night, it's been incredible. After GPS and two possibly, or GPS, I should say, is over, the little kids, I'm waiting, they come out and they're ready to start reciting their verses. Romans 3.10, as the scriptures say, there's none righteous, no, not one. Excellent. Then last week it was, for all of sin and all fall short of God's glorious standards. Oh, that's awesome. Romans 3.23. Next week, I'm not sure what their verse is. I'll find out when they say it to me. But I know this, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of my sin is death. Eternal separation from God. 
Listen, there's a holy God who loves me. There's a holy God that loves you. But our sin separates us from him. And nothing can bridge that gap. Nothing can erase that chasm or or save me from the penalty of death. Nothing except God. And he has this incredible plan to redeem, to save mankind. That's, That's God. Romans 5, 8 says this, that while I was still sinning, Christ died for me. While I'm still messing up, while I'm still making that gap bigger, that chasm bigger, God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you while you're still messing up. So he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And then Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm saved. He bridges that gap. He erases the chasm and he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, I will save you from your sins. I'll pay the price that you can't pay. So God's plan is to save mankind by sending the most perfect sacrifice to put on that cross. To pay for all of our sins, past, present, future, paid in full. And the only way to heaven, listen church, the only way to heaven, because people think there's a lot of ways, okay, is by the presence of his grace, giving us what we don't deserve, and his mercy not giving us what we do deserve. His gift, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. Not not your works, not anything you're doing, but by the grace of God and the Son, Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 12 says, There's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 16, 30 to 31, they just freed this jailer. They brought him out and he asked this of, of Paul, what must I do to be saved? He wants to know, can I do good things? Do I, you know, is it through my parents? What is it? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and all your household need to do this. So when we place our faith, when we believe in Jesus Christ, he forgives us, he saves us, and we have a new relationship with God. And we now have a new mission in life to grow in our faith, to be in a growing, vibrant relationship with God. And here's the thing. Now that I have a relationship with the God of this universe through his son, Jesus Christ, I want to grow in that relationship. I hope all of you do too. Weird. I can't remember. I think it was maybe at a staff meeting. I don't know if it was Pastor Dave or Landon that mentioned something about how we need to grow in Christ. He goes, can you imagine a 10-year-old sitting in a high chair having to be spoon-fed? And I think Landon said that's gross or something like that's weird. Maybe it was weird was the word. I can't remember. And I was sitting there thinking, yeah, why would you have a 10-year-old sitting in a high chair spoon-feeding them? No, no, no. See, you grow. And as you grow up, you get new strength. And you do things you've never done before. And you stop doing the things that we want to do as an infant, as a believer in Jesus Christ. When I first gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I first confessed with my mouth and believed my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm not that person anymore. I'm older now. I'm grown up. My relationship is different. And so should yours. Your relationship should be growing as well. Problem is, in this relationship, we, we still have sin. We still mess up. 
And that sin will do its best to hinder our relationship with God. And sin will do its best to distort truth. The truth of God's love. The truth of God's holiness. And more. And in spite of what we know is true, these things get in our way. As Pastor Dave said this morning as he was praying, some of us walk in here with guilt and shame, thinking, I blew it, I messed up. And what does that do? That separates you from having an awesome relationship with God because you feel shamed. Like, I'm such a loser. And God's saying, no, you're not. You were a loser, but I saved you from that. You are now victorious in Christ. There's a Bible story that helps us illustrate the love of God. We've, We've gone through this before. One of my favorite stories. And so it's a story that I really believe gives us a great picture of a relationship with God and how God looks like as a heavenly father. So open up your Bibles with me, please. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get one for you. Just raise your hand and the guys in the back will bring you one if you need one. Luke chapter 15 is the third book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 15. Like I said, an incredible passage talks about a relationship with God and his love. Luke chapter 15. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die, Dad. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, if you understand this, when you get an inheritance, your inheritance comes after your father passes away. Once that inherit, once your father passes away, the larger portion goes to the oldest son. It isn't divided equally. Right? But in this situation, the younger son goes to dad and says, Dad, I know you're still alive, but if I can, I'd like to have our inheritance now. It says a lot about him, right? Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings. He took his inheritance. He moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money on wild living. Now, about that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he turned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I'm going to pause for a second. I want you to think about this young man. He goes to his father and he demands things that really don't belong to him. And he gets all these blessings. And he goes off and he just lives crazy like. Spending on everything he can spend it on. You want to picture wild living? For some of you who are like, man, my college days were what I call my BC days before Christ because they were not good. Now that I know Christ, praise God. But those days I don't like talking about. That's what we're talking about. Those kind of days, those kinds of parties, that kind of wild living. And he was doing it all. And he ran out of money. He's flat broke. What do I do? Find a job, right? He had to convince a farmer to hire him. He got hired. He's going to feed pigs. He couldn't find anything to eat, even while he was feeding these pigs. And then he comes to his senses and he thought about this. 
my father's servants get treated better than what I'm being treated right now. You know what? If, if I just go back to my father and say, I'm sorry, hire me on as your servant, I can live in the servant's quarters. I can have a roof over my head. I can have something to eat. That's good enough. That, that's good enough for me. Meanwhile, can you imagine the father? He gave everything he had to his son, loves his son. His son takes off, squanders it, right? What do you think dad's doing? My son's going to get what he deserves. Who cares? Or did his father sit there and pray for him and wonder about him and wonder, is he ever going to come back? Let's pick this back up. Verse 20. When he returned home to his father while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father's in a position to see his son come from a long distance. His father's waiting for him. His father's seeking and looking, saying, I wonder when he's going to come back. I wonder when he's going to come back. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Fathers don't run to their sons back in these days. Fathers wait for the sons to come squabbling back to them with their heads down, buried and ashamed and full of guilt. And the father stands over him and says, I told you so. Not this father. This father ran to him with love and compassion and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I no longer am worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've fattened up. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. What an incredible picture. And you look at how this young man lived. Nothing like his father. For what? The pleasures of this world. He thought he could make himself happy. Money, girls, partying led to emptiness. And he finally came to his senses. And it's funny, as we can tell teenagers till we're blue in the face, we can tell young people till they're blue in the face, that kind of living gets you nowhere. Stay away from it. But yet, we still have people and children who say, I'm doing it my way. Boom, off they go. And we look at this story, and as parents, we can relate so much. And we wondered, don't you realize that direction leads to nothing? But he finally came to his senses, which happens to many of us. It finally hits us. Wow, what have I been doing? What kind of choices have I been making? We finally come to our senses and we say, you know what? I'm so empty right now. What I had when I was back with my father, that was a good feeling. Why am I settling for the emptiness right now? We realize this isn't where we belong. The son realizes, this is not where I belong. He had, there's four locations in this story. If you think about it, you've got the father's home. You've got the servant's quarters. You've got the distant land and the pig pen. It started off at the father's home with the son leaving. I'm out of here. Ended up in the distant land. And then the pig pen, the worst. It was like rock bottom. And then from the rock bottom pig pen back up, he's thinking, I can at least go back to the servant's quarter. He wasn't even thinking back to the father's home. And the father's home is where the son belongs. This is where God wants us to be, in relationship with him, in the same house. That ring, that robe, those sandals. Without sandals, you are a servant. With sandals, you are part of the family. 
that, that robe he puts on was a symbolism of being a part of the family. And that ring, all that was meant to be, this is where you belong. This is your home. The son, for some reason, though, thought, I'm not worthy to be there anymore. And, and let's admit this. We're not always where we need to be. And I think we can agree on that, that either ourselves, a friend, a family member, somebody is not where they need to be right now in relationship to God. They're not in this growing, vibrant relationship with God right now. There may be like in the servant's home, which I call that the average, mediocre, get-by lifestyle of godliness. That's good enough. I'm still in the, I'm still in the, the main you know, real estate of the home. I'm still connected there, but I'm in the servant's home. And some people you know are off in the pig pen of life in the distant land, still partying off. They haven't hit rock bottom yet, but they will. They always do. We forget about God. He's out of sight. We lose focus. These kind of things happen. We put our focus on ourselves, our pleasures, our happiness, our comfort. I'm telling you something. It's not a great place to be. It's not a great place to be because whenever you're seeking that kind of stuff out, there's also pain and sadness and separation and confusion, and it's just not a good place to be. And we know about God. We know that having a relationship with Him, being in His home, we have His words. We have His comfort. We have His peace. We have His joy. So I want to pause for a second and ask you, where are you at this morning? This is a question I've asked you before. Are you in a father's home? Are you in that vibrant relationship with God? Are you in a servant's home? Again, remember the son? He's like, if I can just be a hired servant, that's good enough. He didn't feel worthy to be called God's son anymore, his father's son anymore. He felt like this is just good enough. I'm not good enough to be back at that home. A lot of us feel that way sometimes. I'm not good enough to be called God's child because I've screwed up so many times in my life. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's not true. You've been forgiven. Therefore, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And there's some of us who are off this distance a little bit further. We're still running from God. We're still messing around. It's all about us right now. Where are you at? Verse 17 said, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hard men have food to spare? And I'm starving to death. I'll go back to my father and say, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went further. And again, he was just content with being in the servant's home. That's, that was good enough for him. But that's not where he belongs. Where does he belong? In relationship with the father in the father's home. And that's why the father in this story is the picture of our heavenly father who stands there waiting for us to come back into that relationship with him. And when we come walking back to him with our heads down, feeling shamed and full of guilt, God runs to us with love and compassion. He says, It's about time. Come on home. And he welcomes us and he hugs us and he kisses us and he gives us everything that belongs to ownership in the home, not the servants' quarters. Because this church is where we belong in relationship with the Heavenly Father, in his home, in his place, with relationship with him. So while on this earth, our goal should be to be in that vibrant relationship with God. And reaching this goal and living in that goal, is it's a daily choice to say, I want to live for you today, Lord. I want to live for you. It is so hard. It is. So every day we've got to wake up with that focus of, all right, God, I want to be in that vibrant relationship with you. Not every day feels that way. I get it. 
So let me help you with a few things. Here's the first thing we need to do is remove the obstacles. Look at the person next to you and say, remove the obstacles. Oh, yeah, remove the obstacles. Again, if you're busy with us, church, I don't always do this. I do it often. It's been a while, hasn't it? I haven't had you look at somebody and say anything in a while. Yeah, welcome back, Rex. Okay, here we go. So, first of all, we're going to remove those obstacles. You've got to recognize them. You've got to remove them. You've got to get them out. See, we face a lot of those today. Doubts, insecurities, fears. A lot of these things are taking place up in our mind and our brain, right? Cheating, anger, being too busy, being anxious about we see the bad news. I think Rhonda nailed it when she was talking about all those things that we can get overwhelmed with. Future looks bleak, death, lies, failure, compromise. We desire more, we want more. And spiritually, there, is there an answer? Yeah, there's a goal. But these obstacles fall in our path and slow us down from having a relationship with God because we got fear blocking us, we got insecurity blocking us, we got anger blocking us. We stumble, we slow down, sometimes we even give up. Paul said this, I think we got these. We got three scriptures in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to throw those, or Dan's going to put those up there. Let me read some of those to you. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, that we even despaired even of life. Paul says, man, we're about ready to give up. It's tough. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 to 5. Rather, as servants of God, we commend, commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, Let's be honest. There have always been and there always will be those things in our life that are going to keep us from a vibrant relationship with God. Paul says, I had all these kind of things going on in my life, physical, emotional, spiritual, that kept me from having that vibrant relationship with God, but I will not give up. I will press on. And we're encouraged and challenged to do the same thing. And then the story back in Luke 15 that we were reading, if you look at verses 12 and 13, when the younger one said, to his father, hey, give me the share of my estate. So he divided them amongst them. Here's the obstacle, selfishness and greed. You know what kept him from his father in that story? His greed and his selfishness for his estate. That separated him from his father. He's more worried about what he was going to get instead of being in the home and serving with his dad. It says not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant land, squandered his wealth and wild living. Here's the obstacle, the pleasures of the world. When we start pursuing the things in this world, it separates us from a relationship with God. Recognize those obstacles that keep us from having that relationship with God. Don't take your eyes off the goal. God, I said I was going to wake up in the morning and I was going to spend time with you. Oh, I, I, I blew it yesterday. I didn't do it. Well, then do it today. Whatever it was that kept you from doing it yesterday, recognize it. Make sure it doesn't happen again. But today's a new day. Continue to pursue your relationship with your heavenly father. Then understand this. Recognize your resources. Look at the person next to you and say, recognize your resources. Okay. So here's the thing. You've got all kinds of resources around you to help you. Today we live in such a world, everything is an app, right? There's an app to look up the Bible. There's an app for this, an app for that. You've got the greatest resource ever, God's very word, but you got even something better than all that. You've got God's spirit walking with you. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead, who has delivered us from such a deadly peril, he will deliver us. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul said, I've got these issues right now, but you know what? It's not about me and my resources. God's with me. He will help me. Psalm 146.3 says, Do not put your trust in princes or in mortal men who cannot save you. Moses, when he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, into the desert, into the promised land, he faced that incredible obstacle called the Red Sea. He had to recognize his resources, what he was going to have at that moment in time, because he had Pharaoh's chariots behind him and the Red Sea in front of him. And did he say, oh, I know what I can do. No, it's what God's going to do. He could have tried to escape, but here's the thing. If we try to escape our problems, guess who did all the work? We did. We don't need to escape our daily problems. We need to be delivered from our daily problems. Deliverance comes from God. Escape comes from ourselves. If it's on you to think you can escape all your sins in this world, you will fail every time. But if God delivers you from your sins, then you are free. and free indeed. And God freed Moses from this situation. Knowing that God has the resources, we have to trust him. We need to do what he tells us to do. We need to be obedient to his word. When you hear God's word, listen to it. Obey it. Every Sunday you have the opportunity to hear myself, Pastor Landon, maybe a podcast, maybe somebody else throughout the week. Maybe you download, listen to other people and other pastors. That's fine. But listening does no good if we're not doing. What you have heard, what I have heard, we need to now go apply. Turn with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. It's towards the end of the Bible. 1 John, chapter 4. As you're turning there, 1 John, chapter 4, as we are removing obstacles and recognizing our resources, we're trying to connect more with God and build that vibrant relationship. Let me tell you something. It changes us. It changes us. You can tell when a young man starts dating a girl. He acts different, right? And maybe vice versa with a girl. I don't know so much, but I know with guys, you're like, man, you're different, man. I'm dating some. Oh, okay. I thought something was different, right? She's changing you, huh? You know, and the, the little nagging and jabbing goes on. It's a little fun to tease, right? As uh, my Jenny's grandfather used to say, oh, you're henpecked. Some of you are like, I have no idea what that word means. I don't either at the point in time, but I've understood basically means that my wife changed me some. A lot. I don't know. Anyway, when you're in a relationship with God, it changes you. That's a great thing. First John chapter 4, verses 9 to 16. Let's read this. God showed. Let me hear you say showed. He shows us. He just doesn't say, let me tell you, let me tell you. He shows us how much, look, read on, how much he loves us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have what? Eternal life through him. You want to know what real love is? Valentine's Day, February 14th. No, here's real love. Verse 10, this is real love. Not that we love God, 
but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's love. Oh, I, I really want to love God. You know what? Let God love you first. This is true love. Not that you're loving him, but that he loves you. Sent his one and only son to die for you. That is love. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God loves us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. You want to see God at work? You watch Christians love each other. The full expression of God's love is brought out when we love one another. And God has given us his spirit, verse 13, as proof that we live in him and he in us. I love this. The Trinity is brought out. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is brought out in these verses. As we talk about God loving us, sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us, and his spirit living in us, all in these verses. Verse 14. Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his son to be the Savior of the world. And all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. Did you hear that, church? When you declare, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit comes and lives in you. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us and we put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our, look at this, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. We can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. We live like Jesus here in this world. Did you get that? We live like Jesus here in this world. God is love. His love resides in us. And when we love one another, people see the full expression of God. It's an incredible thing. Now, as I close, I want to share one last illustration. I heard this illustration from another pastor. I'm going to share it with you, okay, about who we are in Christ. Because I know you guys are getting hungry, right? You're sitting there thinking, all right, Rex, keep preaching, right? I know, I know right now you're all saying, oh, right. if we were a different Pentecostal church, we'd be standing right now going, Okay, but I don't like that, so don't do that. Okay, that's weird. Um, but anyway, you're like, oh, but the back of your mind goes, but I'm still sort of hungry. Okay, so I, I get that. Okay, so not to, not to toy you or tease you, but I brought a, a pizza box. Yeah, now we're sort of getting ready, right? Because let's say I called, you know, I, I was thinking about this. <laughs> Ryan, this smells like poor Cater's nightmare. <laughs> you know what you'd really do right now? If you could just give me a pizza, I mean, poor Cater's Nightmare, because those are just really good. So if you don't mind, I hate to put you to work on a Sunday. But if you could get me a pizza, I would appreciate it. I saw him getting up. I was going to put him on the spot. I usually don't put people, you know, sometimes people have to get up and use the restroom. I usually don't say anything. It's just let it go, right? He was standing up. But anyway, so anyway, so I got a poor Cater's, I got a pizza box. Reminds me of poor Cater's Nightmare. But let's say I, I called up a pizza place and I ordered a large pizza. Okay, and right, and and I know I'm hungry, and I'm anticipating the delivery of this food. However, when it arrives, the driver walks up to the door, and he comes in, and he doesn't have a pizza box. He walks up just carrying the pizza, and I mean the slices are hanging over, and cheese dripping off, and there goes a couple of pepperonis, a couple of pieces of sausage. Like, here you go. <laughs> Sorry about that. I usually can handle it pretty good. This one was a little slippery, a little greasy today. 
And I'd be sitting there looking at him, and not to be judgmental, but this dude looks like, he looks like a nose picker. I'm just saying. (laughs) Where have those hands been? And they're all over my pizza now. And then I'm thinking, how did he deliver this? In the backseat of his car, probably, right? Now, I don't know what your backseat of your car looks like, but I know what mine looks like. I don't know if I would eat things off of that backseat. And then I'm thinking he sat it on the backseat, and then he picked it up, and now he's cradling it the best he can. And I don't know. I, I, they're not too sterile. So I'm really getting grossed out right now about thinking about eating that pizza, right? So what's my first question to this pizza delivery guy? Where's the box? Okay? Yeah, my first thought is take it back. But my first question is, where's the box? Because I'm expecting my product to be inside a box. I expect it to be in here, not out here, right? Let's be honest. This box is probably worth, I don't know, a quarter, 30, 35 cents, maybe, maybe 39 at the most, right? It's not very valuable. It's just an ordinary piece of cardboard, right? But all this changes when the pizza comes inside it. I want you to think about this. This box takes on incredible value when the pizza is in it. It takes on value and importance because of what's been placed inside it. Starts off at 39 cents, right? Not very much, very cheap. But now the value of this box changes completely when it's filled up. Right, Ryan? Nice. Please bring that up here. I don't need an empty box anymore. Because Ryan is an awesome delivery man. And no, I don't need any change. Trust me. This will last me like three or four meals because it's that good. Oh, have you ever had a, a poor caterer's nightmare? It's four pounds of heaven is what it is. Um, I used to say manna was from heaven. Then I said Krispy Kreme donuts were from heaven. And then I tried rise and roll donuts. Those, yeah, they're the Amish make them. Those are definitely from heaven. Um, but the poor kidder's nightmare is, is not a nightmare at all. It's almost causing me to fantasy right now, and I shouldn't do that in church. But anyway, this is the way to deliver a pizza in a box. You hear what I'm saying, church? Catch this, please. The box doesn't give value to the product, to the pizza. The pizza gives value to to the box. Church, we are like that cardboard box. We are created by God. We have purpose. We aren't junk. We have some value. But our value increases immensely when Christ is in us. Before you knew Christ, this was you. Yes, you had some kind of purpose sitting around, right? But I'm telling you something. When Christ comes into your life, it changes everything. This box has incredible value now. It will store my pizza and take care of my pizza for quite a while. Okay? I can carry it at home now, not worrying about what's going to happen to it, if it makes it out of this building alive. I don't know. But I do know this. Everything changed because of what was inside it. Let me read this scripture to you again. As God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and him in us, 
Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. We know how much God loves us. We put our trust in His love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Here we go. Let me read verse 17 again. So as we live in God, His love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on that day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because why again? Because we live like Jesus here in the world. We no longer live like an empty pizza box anymore. We live as somebody who's been possessed with something incredible, and that is the very Spirit of God. We have incredible value now. All you have to, you know, I'm going to tell you, sometimes people get a little confused here. They think that this is what it's all about. I have to be beautiful. I have to be talented. I have to be athletic. I have to be smart. I have to have a position of power. I have to have so much money. I have to be so pretty and be the queen or the king and so forth and so on. That's just the box. That's just the shell. You know what God wants from you? He doesn't want any of that. He just wants you to be clean and empty so that he can come in and invade your life and do something incredible. And church, if you're not there, it's time to clean your life now. It's time to seek for forgiveness. It's time to ask God to clean you out and clean you up so that you can be his vessel, so that he can take you to places from your house to Timbuktu, there's no delivery charge on this, and there's no driving range. You can go wherever you want with him. It's an incredible thing. So church, you want to know God? He wants to know you. Are you clean? Have you asked for forgiveness? Are you willing to be open and used by him so that he can come and fill you up and do incredible things? I hope so. Would you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome and mighty God. You love us. You want to know us more. Thing is, you know everything about us. Which is crazy because knowing everything about us, you love us even more. But you want us to know you more. God, we can't know you anymore until we first clean our lives up. Until we seek forgiveness of the sins that have been in our life. We have these obstacles that maybe keep us from knowing you. And we've let them trip us up. God, forgive us right now where we're standing. We can just pray right now to you. Like that pizza box, God, just clean us up. Clean up our inside. Forgive us, God. Cleanse us. From all of our sins, our mistakes, clean us out. And then God, invade our life. Come into our life. Be the Lord of our life. You saved us. Now, Lord, lead us. So we can get to know you better. And we can take your love, because you are love. We can take your love to the rest of this world, to our family, to our neighbors, to our workplace. Because, God, you are love. And as we get to know you better, we get to share you with others. We may not share you perfectly, but we're going to try to get better at that every day. 
So God, I thank you for this time we've had here this morning to come and worship you in song and prayer and truth. And God, as we sing this last song to you, if you've got to do more work in our hearts, Lord, fire away. We want to be available to you, Lord. Clean us up, forgive us, empty us so you can fill us. Fill us, God. Fill us with your peace. Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your love. God, we love you and we thank you for this moment. We sing to you now.